Welcome to Will We Make It Out Alive? I'm Amy, the poop detective. And I'm Jen, the magical mapper. Welcome to episode 18. What's up with recycling? AKA plastics part one. In this episode, we'll learn more about a funny costume. What's up with plastic recycling? How to optimize routes in GIS to save time, fuel, and emissions. Nice. And how to recycle those odd items in your area if you can't reduce your consumption in the first place. Before we get into today's episode, we want to mention that February 2nd was... Was Groundhog's Day? Uh, well, yeah, but that's not what I meant. It the was... second day of Black History Month? Uh, technically also accurate, but I meant World Wetlands Day. Oh, <laughs> also very exciting. Right. So the goal of World Wetlands Day is to raise awareness around the globe about the importance and function of wetlands. And although World Wetlands Day has passed for this year, there are events happening all month around the Pacific Northwest to celebrate. And we'll have links in the show notes to some of these events. Awesome. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there before we started the episode. So, Amy. Yes, Jen. How do you get people to reduce their waste? Uh, you wear an amazing costume? Exactly. You wear an amazing superhero <laughs> outfit. What else? Uh, so Amy and I had a coworker who showed up to Earth Day one time in an, this amazing Captain Wastenut. Captain Wastenut! <laughs> yeah! Superhero costume that he had actually taken from his previous job because nobody else would wear it. At so least that's just like, what we think the story was. Yeah, he's like, they're like, yeah, just take it. And it was just so amazing. It was like this blue water patterned skin hugging shirt and pants and a red cape and what looked like a red diaper. Those are superhero undies. Oh, <laughs> excellent. It also came with these shoe covers um, that made it look like he was wearing red cowboy boots for some reason. I don't know. It was glorious. Don't forget about the shirt actually had a recycling logo around a globe on it. I would think that would maybe be your favorite part about it, actually. Oh, right. That's right. I forgot. That was pretty amazing. So I don't know if it actually made people recycle more or reduce their consumption, but it sure got a lot of laughs. We'll see if maybe we can post a picture on our webpage, but we'll have to get permission. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah. if you're your Captain Waste Not, why wouldn't you give us permission? Exactly. All right. So let's get settled in. If you thought I talked a lot last time, well, I hope you're ready for more of that because oh, no. that's what we're going to bring you again today. We would no! like to get back into recording other people, but until then, I hope you enjoy the sound of my voice. Oh, no. Like Jen said, today we're here to talk to you about plastic recycling. What up with that plastic recycling? Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so depending on where you live, uh, you might not actually have curbside plastic recycling, or it might be a more limited plastic recycling than you had just a year ago. Behind the scenes, recycling management has become more difficult due to contamination coupled with China and Southeast Asian countries no longer accepting our plastic and mixed paper recycling, and it's just made it more expensive overall. So this month, we're going to talk about recycling and the recycling ban, but researching for this episode kind of led us down a different path, and that really gets to the root of this problem, which is the disposable society that we're living in. So mm. next episode, we're going to further discuss the public and environmental health issues associated with plastic and what may be dubbed the myth of plastic recycling. Interesting. 
And uh, the big steps that we really all need to take to tackle this systemic issue. Interesting. We will talk a little bit about plastics and the current status of our global recycling system. It's going to get a little deep today, but we'll try not to end on a low note. And we're going to talk about some of the positive things that are happening and what you can do. Well, that's good. But tune in for our next episode because that's where the rubber's really going to hit the road. All right. So let's get warmed up here. Let's start talking a little bit about plastic. Okay. So let's think about this. Almost every piece of plastic ever made is still on the planet. Wow. The good news is plastic has really only been in mainstream production for like 50 years. So at least we haven't been doing that for so long. Right. The bad news is that in the last 10 years, we've made more plastic than in the previous century. Wow. We're amping up our plastic use right now. Huh, that's depressing. Pretty much. It it gets better. Just wait. After the introduction here, we're all going to be real sad. No, can't wait. Most of the 150 million tons of plastic produced around the world every year end up in landfills, oceans, or elsewhere. And less than 9% of plastics are recycled in the United States. And Hmm. that is a little bit higher in Europe, about 30%. And I think uh, China is about 25%, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we're kind of behind the curve there. Yeah. So let's think about this some more. All the toothbrushes you've ever owned in your life still exist out there. I pretty much guarantee that. Those are not being recycled. Your toothbrushes still exist out there. I don't know how many toothbrushes (laughs) I've had in my life, but it's a few. Certainly. And if you start to (laughs) multiply that by number of people and I mean, really, I I think at one point in time, I heard there was some recommendation to actually replace your toothbrush like every Every three three months months. or something. Yeah, which I I certainly don't replace mine at that level. But uh, for the people that do that, that's a lot of toothbrushes. You're definitely supposed to replace it every three months. Whoa. Jen, who do you care more about (laughs) my oral health or the planet? It's cute uh, that you care more about my oral health. That's really sweet. Um, it, yeah. There are other <laughs> options. There are. But we're not getting into that right now. We're talking about depressing things. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Go, so continue. In the U.S. in 2017, uh, landfills received about 26.8 million tons of plastic. Interesting. Yeah. And it accounts for about a fifth of all the landfilled municipal solid waste. So quite a bit of what's going to the landfill is plastics. Wow. That Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, plastic bags and plastic bottles make up the majority of the plastic waste on the planet. Hmm. Americans go through 2.5 million plastic bottles every hour. Let me that say that crazy. again. million plastic bottles every hour. It's another one of those big numbers that is just really hard to even fathom, like, what that really looks like. I mean, that's... Okay. But unfortunately, according to the plastic industry group NAPCOR, bottle recycling rate actually fell just a tiny bit from... 29.2 in 2017 to 28.9% in 2018. Mm. So it's not too noticeable, but there's a slight decrease there. Yeah. Research that was published back in 2015 estimates that there are 9 million tons of plastic waste that end up in the oceans every year, which of course are threatening our ecosystems, our wildlife, and human health. Hmm. And that is equivalent to five grocery bags of plastic trash for every foot of coastline around the globe. Whoa. So that's kind of a lot of plastic floating out there. Yeah. That's really gross. According to Judith 
Enk, I probably just butchered her name, I'm sorry, (laughs) a former official with the US EPA, there is an incredible disconnect between public concerns about what plastic pollution is doing to the environment and all of the industry funding and tax dollars being invested into new plastics manufacturing. Judith actually founded the Beyond Plastics campaign, which is a nonpartisan initiative that seeks to end plastic pollution. But in the same breath, plastic bags are a $22.2 billion global business, and they're growing. According to BBC Research, U.S. plastic bag sales are projected to reach $1.4 billion this year. That's a lot of that's money. An, that's an insane number. Right? Especially... Like, because they're free to the consumer. Right. Yeah, and I I can't imagine that they cost that much to, you know, per bag right. to the grocery stores or whoever, you know. A bagajillion, a bagajillion are being created every year. That's crazy. So, now that we have started getting you a little depressed, let's talk more about plastics and plastic recycling, because that's going to make you feel way better. Or will it? Ugh. We're going to get a little bit more into the details of the plastic bans and their impacts on our recycling industry today. Hmm. What do you think of when I say plastics, Jen? Well, trash and beach trash and dead animals and wow, something that never goes away. Kind of sad over there. Well, I've just been listening to you tell me about them. So. <laughs> Whack fact, the term plastics actually refers to multiple different types of polymers. Polymers hmm. are extremely long repetitive molecules. Did I just lose you there, Jen? No. They're basically chemicals. (laughs) This is going to be enlightening. Are you ready? Are you ready to be enlightened? Of course. Plastics are found everywhere. Uh, I believe that. That ranges from common single-use disposable items like food wrap and packaging and beverage bottles and really important things like clean medical equipment that's Mm -hmm. also one-time use, Um, disposable diapers, sports clothes, personal care product bottles, cleaning product bottles, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So those things are typically just used once and then thrown away um, Mm -hmm. or maybe a few times, but they don't have a very long life. And then they also show up in more durable items like electronics, airplanes, cars, appliances, furniture, toys, household items like shower curtains. And in things like airplanes and cars, they're really important because they actually make the overall weight of those um, vehicles a lot lighter. And so they're much more energy efficient because of that. So you're going to hear us kind of smack talking a lot of plastic probably in this episode and the next, but we also do realize that there are some very important uses for plastic. And so trying to figure out you know, which ones we should be just eliminating altogether and which ones there may be a benefit to having them or we need to come up with some alternative to replace it Mm -hmm. is something to definitely (laughs) consider. And, you know, basically their synthetic plastics are made from oil and gas and oil and gas byproducts. And they're basically super low cost. They're easy to manufacture. They're versatile. They're lightweight. And they're impervious to water. So plastics are just used in a multitude of products at all sorts of different scales. (sighs) You are depressing me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How do you like this for some depression? There are six main types of plastic. Polystyrene, or PS. You you may be familiar with polystyrene from the foam cups that you pour hot beverages into. Right. But you also find it in yogurt containers and plastic cutlery. 
Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And in sheet materials like uh, plexiglasses. Interesting. Unplasticized polystyrene is actually rigid, brittle, inexpensive plastic that's been used to make plastic model kits and other kind of knickknacks, too. Hmm. And it's the basis for some of the most popular foamed plastics under the name styrene foam or styrofoam. Interesting. Then there is the second one is low density polyethylene or LDPE. This material appears in plastic garbage bags as well as in like recycle bins made of the same material. Oh, interesting. Polypropylene, otherwise known as PP, (laughs) is responsible for molded parts, electrical installation. A lot of the electrical kind of world is very dependent on plastics, Mm. packaging, and it's also fibers for clothes. (laughs) If you've ever discarded a takeout container, lunchbox, or ice cream container, you've definitely thrown away a bit of PP but not the urine kind. (laughs) Then the fourth one is polyvinyl chloride or PVC. So this is going to be in any squeeze bottles or juice containers. It's also found in things that need a thin coating of plastic. And then obviously pipes, PVC pipes are a really big Mm -hmm. use of PVC and exterior household siding. Fifth one we're going to talk about is high density polyethylene or HDPE. This is going to be more in like your shampoo bottles and milk jugs. Hmm. And the final one is PET, (laughs) which comes, we're going to call it PET for the rest of this episode. Um, Okay. Sounds good since it sounds like you can't pronounce it. I don't, that's rude. (laughs) (laughs) So PET comes in both fibers or resin and fibers are a major microplastic source. They're often blended with wool or cotton and found in sports clothing. Um, And then resin is more often used in food packaging and beverage bottles, but it is also used in clothing as well. Interesting. Well, the focus of this episode is synthetic plastics. (laughs) There are natural polymers as well, which are made of plants or animal materials. These natural polymers are compostable. Either over months or years, they are gradually broken down by microbes. They do actually release methane when they break down, so they can add to greenhouse gas. However, Mm. if a landfill is properly lined and has energy production capabilities, then you can capture that methane and create electricity from it. But not all landfills have that. Right. Probably not very many. I don't know. Cool ones do. Exactly. So, moving right into the recycling of that material. Woohoo! Now you know a tiny bit about plastics and how I have a really hard time saying plastic names. And like we said, we're going to talk a little bit more about the environmental and human health concerns associated with plastic in our next episode. Now we're going to move right into the basics of plastic recycling. Get ready to have some fun now. Let's get let's get happier. I'm I'm ready. We're going to do our part and recycle. That makes things good. Why do you say it like that? I don't know. It'll be sad, probably. Oh. Okay, first of all, shockingly, what? three of those plastic groupings that we just talked about- The are, synthetic ones? Yeah, are widely <laughs> recycled. That includes PET, mm-hmm. HDPE, and PVC. Hmm. The other three varieties tend to be thinner and flimsier, and they break down in machinery and cause the machinery to also break down. Well, that's no good. Secondly, unfortunately- Commingled recycling has pretty much been a hot, hot miss since the get-go. It's confusing and inefficient at best. Oh, that's true. 
I mean, you might be wondering, like, what actually happens to your recyclables after you do the work of putting them into your curbside bin? I am wondering that. What does happen? Once they're collected, this is in a commingled mixed stream plastic bin situation. Mm -hmm. The mixed plastics are sorted, baled, and then they're sent to a reclaiming facility. Mm -hmm. There the plastics are cleaned, washed, and ground into flakes. The flakes are dried, they're melted, they're filtered, and then they're formed into pellets. The pellets are called nurdles. And I just like to say that. Nurdles? Yes, nurdles. <laughs> Actually, uh, new plastic balls that are made for new products are also made with nurdles. So these are recycled nurdles. Huh. There was a big nurdle spill on a beach um, some years ago. And they're very small. They're like, huh. I don't know, the size of a small seed. I can't think of something like a right pea now. or something? Mm, or? Smaller than that smaller even. Smaller than that. Wow. Yeah. So they're pretty small. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you can imagine, a shipping container full of those might wreak a little bit of havoc to the local beaches around where the spill happened. Anyways, nurdles are kind of a fun thing to say, regardless. (laughs) Yeah. So the nurdles are then sent to a manufacturer who will heat them and remold them into a new product. Hmm. If you're lucky, recycling might give a product a new life as fiber for clothing, Mm -hmm. carpeting, car parts, strapping could become a cutting board. Whoa. A durable outdoor deck or bench, maybe some of that plastic lumber, playground equipment. Interesting. The United States ranks behind Europe and China in recycling, and we are at 9%, and we've actually been stalled there since 2012, because we're just super awesome, apparently. That's crazy to me that we're so much behind. I mean, I guess not. I don't know. This is... It is America. Um, On that note, I think it's time for a cat fact. Woohoo! Let's have something (laughs) happier, please. Okay. So... Have you ever seen like a cat walk outside in summer and it's like really dry out, but the cat leaves little wet paw prints on the ground? Mm-hmm. Do you know what that's from? No. They, that's actually the cat is sweating because they sweat out of their paws. Aww. And that, that's actually the only place they can sweat too. Mm. So I thought that was fascinating because I had no idea. I'd had heard that they sweat, but I had never put together that mm-hmm. that was what you were seeing. Yeah. Dorbs. Yeah. Oh. Well, I hope that cat fact can keep you through the next part where we start talking about some of the problems with recycling. Oh. So there are challenges within the recycling process itself. So recycle and regrind materials have inferior properties compared to virgin resins. And it's an imperfect technology. There are also specs that have to be met for recycled plastic and those can be really difficult if there's contamination within the recycled feedstock that they're getting. Mm. Then you have issues where there's some plastics that can be recycled, but it just doesn't necessarily make sense financially everywhere. So, for example, styrofoam is actually recyclable. Most people don't know that. Right. But typically, recycling isn't available to people because it costs too much to ship it to the recyclers. It's not heavy, but it fills up a truck quickly. Uh. So that shipping cost doesn't make it economically make sense to actually uh. ship it to the places. Right. But in Eugene, Oregon, St. Vinny's and dark containers in Tumwater. Mm-hmm. But what St. Vincent's did is they actually got a grant to build a bulking facility that melts the styrofoam down and allows them to bulk pack it and then send it on to recyclers. 
So hmm. that minimizes the cost issue with shipping it. Oh. And I'm actually a little bit bummed because I'm going on a tour with St. Vincent's to let they do a bunch of different recycling projects in the community on Wednesday, but that's after we record this. What? I'm super jealous. Maybe I'll have an update next episode. Ooh. Yeah. You should take pictures and we can post some online. Oh, I will. Another issue with recycling is that you need a market for the recycled plastic. Right. And that has actually been kind of an issue because it can have these impurities in it. There's certainly not as much of a market and there's actually a limit with how much it can be recycled i heard maybe 10 times and then after that point it's no longer like it breaks down too much it's got too much contamination to continue being used huh but right now we've got this issue because china and other countries in southeast asia are not actually importing the plastic materials for the recycling so there actually is a shortage in some areas of the recycled material that they need to get to make the recycled plastic oh but looking into the future plastic is only projected to have 10 to 12 percent recycled material so oh huh that's depressing yes more depression yes oh that's what, I, that's what we're here for i thought we were going to do a positive happy podcast but instead it's just doom and gloom <laughs> that's not cool <laughs> okay, this is going to probably come as a total shocker to you, Ugh. but curbside recyclers, aka you and me, yeah, we are not plastic chemists. Wait, what? I know. Cray, right? Ugh. And yeah. recycling is complicated. For starts, everywhere is different just to keep things really interesting. Yes, that's so annoying. It's so annoying. So depending on where you live, you may have found that plastics outside of the bottles that have the bottle deposit are just mm. no longer accepted in curbside recycling at all. Hmm. But you might also have, um, it. maybe it's just been limited. Like Seattle, they just stopped having um, plastic bags and films go in the curbside recycling, which I couldn't believe they were actually still doing because right. that causes tons of problems with equipment. But they just finally separated that out. In addition, they have like these plastic roundup events where you have to do all sorts of extra steps, clean and dry and cut off any adhesive and cut off the top if it's got cling wrap. And, oh. it's, you know, I know there are people that are out there doing it. And I know there are people that believe in the good that they're doing in that. But it is a lot of work for probably not very much return, really. Yeah. And just as an example for the depending on where you live thing, like if you live in Olympia, Lacey or Tumwater, guess what? They all have different recycling. Exactly. That Ugh. makes it really fun when you're in the office at work, not where you live, and all of a sudden you think you could recycle something, and it turns out you can't. And you get yelled at. Then you get ridiculed. Yes. And we're going to have some more tips on on our website, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about how you can find out what you can recycle in your area. Yeah, a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of the problem with curbside recycling is what has been lovingly coined hope cycling or wish cycling. And basically the idea is this is a practice of tossing questionable items into the recycle bin in hopes that they will somehow be recycled magically. Right. And basically when consumers do that, it causes contamination within the recycling load. Contamination is anything that is not recyclable that ends up in the recycling. And contamination is mostly introduced by consumers putting items that are not recyclable into their recycling. Now, I will say that I've studied environmental health for 17 plus years, and I still don't get all of this right because it, I mean, I just moved to a new place and that's, I've found that here it's different than where I was before and it 
you know, even just some of the stories I've heard about why we don't do things up in Washington are different down here. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's things like, so the plastic mm-hmm. film or bags, which include grocery or garbage bags, plastic wrap, and wraps from things like toilet paper or paper towels. Mm-hmm. Those can be great examples of contamination in kind of both ways, in that they can be a contaminant in curbside recycling, or that they can have contaminants in their waste stream. And contaminants for their waste stream would be things like biodegradable or compostable bags, pre-washed salad mix bags candy wrappers and pet food bags so those shouldn't go into plastic film recycling Hmm. so the good news is there's about 1800 retail stores offering film recycling there's a website we'll have a link in our show notes Mm -hmm. but unfortunately only about four percent of all recyclable film is captured through those options so it's still pretty bleak and depressing Hmm. whack fact Did you know, according to the Earth Policy Institute in 2014, it was estimated that there were 100 billion plastic bags used by Americans every year. Tied together, they would reach around the Earth's equator 773 times. Just once used by Americans Mm -hmm. in in one year? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. We're so messed. Oh yeah. Wow. All right. So now that we know a little bit about plastic and we know a little bit about recycling, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in China and Southeast Asia and how that's affecting us back here. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of going to look at the global recycling industry. Mm -hmm. These articles just came out like a week ago. Um, Just took measures to curtail some of their contaminated recycling material after having unwanted shipments of contaminated recycling rerouted to Southeast Asia since the China ban of 2018. We're going to talk about the China ban in just a minute. Okay. Since China banned imports of post-consumer scrap plastic, numerous Chinese companies have moved their recycling facilities to countries in Southeast Asia. Hmm. There, they import the bales and process the plastic into pellets and then ship those pellets back to China, circumventing the whole import restriction because the pellets are considered a separate commodity. Interesting. And that trend began shortly after China's new policy took hold. Huh. But in April, the Chinese government will enact new requirements for pellet imports, mandating that shipments have high purity with pellets that have consistent melt flow, impact strength, and other stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Now, according to the Los Angeles Times, Malaysia has sent back 150 containers of plastic waste since the third quarter last year, with the wow. environmental minister warning on January 13th of 2020 that those who want Want to make his country a rubbish bin of the world can dream on, which <laughs> I kind of like his sentiment, honestly. Yeo said the successful repatriation of a total of 4,120 U.S. tons of waste followed strict enforcement at key Malaysian ports to block smuggling of waste and shuttering more than 200 illegal plastic recycling factories. Wow. So basically, these illegal recycling factories, it sounds like, just popped up. Like, they probably were doing stuff in China, and then Mm -hmm. when the ban happened in China, they were like, what's close by without any rules? where we can just take this practice to and then the nurdles will go back to China. Right. Hmm. That's what's going on with Malaysia and some Southeast Asian countries right now. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk a little bit about what happened in China back in 2018. Mm-hmm. Plastic recycling, as we've already talked about, is technically difficult. Right. And basically, China closing its doors to foreign plastic waste in 2018 exposed the inadequacy of the global recycling system leaving many wealthy nations like the U.S. with mountains of waste and nowhere to put it. Hmm. 
And by waste, of course, I mean recycling in this instance. <laughs> right. Previously, there had been favorable rates for shipping and cargo vessels that carried Chinese consumer goods from China to the U.S. or abroad, wherever. And then they would otherwise return to China empty. So they're like, might as well stick the recyclings in there. Mm -hmm. And then that, along with the country's low labor costs and high demand for recycled materials, made the practice profitable. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in an effort to stop the deluge of soiled and contaminated materials that was overwhelming the Chinese processing facilities and leaving the country with yet another environmental problem, what to do with the non-recyclable material, China enacted the National Sword Policy Ooh, in 2018. Sounds... I know, I was like reading one article that was talking about this, but it hadn't introduced what it was. And I was like, what is this National Sword Policy? It sounds it like sounds if you send it, we're going to chop your head right? off or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. That's some serious stuff. So yes, mm -hmm. they call it the National Sword Policy, and basically that banned the import of most plastics and other materials that were headed for recycling processors in China. And it imposed a 99.5% purity standard, so that means the contaminants coming in can only be 0.5% contamination rate. So that's all of us Americans doing horrible recycling over here, trying to put everything in mm -hmm. recycling away. And uh, basically, it's impossible to meet that standard. Right. And the ban, actually, it, it affected both mixed plastics and mixed paper. But um, a lot of the mixed papers, there's been streams, there's other ways that they've been able to kind of reshuffle how that waste is recycled and sorted and such. Hmm. Okay. So prior to the ban, China had handled nearly half of the world's recyclable waste. Wow. Including 95% of the plastics collected for recycling in the European Union and 70% of those collected from the U.S. Wow. That's, that's kind of hard to recover from. I, I can see. Right? With when they stopped. Right? Like what, yeah. What do you do How with does it? the whole system work then? There are some places that are trying to pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. And they tended to be lower income countries, primarily in Southeast Asia. And they lacked the infrastructure to properly handle the recyclables either. And many of those countries, like Malaysia, were quickly overwhelmed by the volume coming in. Sounds like a fair amount of it illegally coming into their countries. Right. <laughs> but the recycling crisis triggered by China's band could have an upside. Whoa, maybe some positive news what? in this podcast just a little bit, not too much. Because basically it could lead to better solutions for managing the world's waste, such as expanding processing mm. capacities in North America and Europe and spurring manufacturers to make their products more easily recyclable. Mm -hmm. Or better yet, not in plastic at all. Right. Ooh, foreshadowing to next episode. Ooh. It should really be a wake-up call, the China ban and what's happened in the wake of it to the Definitely. world, that we need to sharply cut down on our single-use plastics. Definitely. An estimated 72 communities in the U.S. have eliminated number three to seven plastics from recycling programs. So mm -hmm. that material is now going to landfill. It could be used for something else, but mostly due to increased sorting costs because of the contamination issues and not mm -hmm. allowing contaminants. Communities are finding that it just makes more sense to not recycle at all. Wow. Let's do another cat fact. <laughs> so did you know that the Hungarian word, it's the Hungarian word for quotation marks, 
But it actually literally translates to cat claws. Oh, that's so <laughs> adorably awesome. Yeah, I don't know. Cat I probably claws. totally butchered it. Yeah, so cat cute. Cat claws. <laughs> Where are we? Well, the recycling system is broken and plastic waste continue to be insidious in our environment. There are still improvements being made to the system. Okay, that sounds positive. Right. Some positive things here. Yes, let's get stoked. So there's innovations, industry innovations, like in the field of polymer recycling that are addressing technical hurdles to increasing recycled polymer quality. And those new processes fall into solvent extraction, a physical process, and a plastic to fuel conversion. Yeah. And the plastic to fuel conversion is actually things like chip wrappers and other mixed polymers that typically can't be recycled or are challenged to recycle, and they can be turned into diesel. So that's kind of an oh, interesting thing. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of devices that are being created that are meant to automatically sort through waste and find recyclables and work day and night. Um, which obviously reduces contamination in the plastic stream and uh, results in less recyclable plastic in the landfill. Right now, <laughs> most of that is done by humans. Right. And so it's very labor intensive and it costs a lot of money and it's imperfect on some levels. So interesting. So these devices are sorting through just the straight up trash and pulling out recyclable materials from the trash? No, I think they're sorting through the mixed stream recyclables to pull plastics out of the mixed stream of oh, recyclables. Okay. There's also a lot of companies that are expanding their recycling capabilities to fill that void created by the China ban. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of new policies aimed at reducing plastic waste that are also in the works. Mm -hmm. Eight U.S. states and a number of cities have outlawed plastic shopping bags. And so 34 African countries. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. And one concern for the industry is the spread of laws aimed at reducing plastics proliferation. Eight states so far have legislation that prevents the creation of a statewide plastic bag ban. What? Prevents the creation of the ban. That's ridiculous. Basically, there's plastic bag lobbyists, and they've been successful at the state level banning, banning plastic (laughs) bag, banning a plastic bag ban. So one of the states that did this is Florida, which I just think is so hilarious because Mm -hmm. how much of your tourism is based on your waterways and like, you just shoot yourself in the foot. Good one, people. Yeah. We'll have a link on our website to states with a ban against bags versus those that are banned from having bans. Uh I'm really interested to see this. Yeah. So uh, Oregon recently awarded $5.6 million in grants to private businesses to bolster recycling and composting infrastructure in the Portland area. Link in our show notes. There's a community in New Jersey called Bradley Beach, and they're actually piloting a program for curbside plastic film recycling. Ooh. Where it's separate from the commingled recycling, but it's still collected curbside. Mm-hmm. The community is only about 4,000 people, and so they're trying to figure out if they can minimize the contamination issues between plastic bag or with plastic bags and film versus the other plastic recycling. Mm-hmm. This program is going to run through next November, and they're collecting data to better determine if separating it will work for other communities. And given that consumers are already familiar with curbside recycling, the company views incorporating film into the curbside stream as the best way to increase the capture of that material. Again, we're right. at 4% recycling rate. 
state, even though there's 18,000 facilities in the U.S. Right. that will collect it. And kind of another thing that was interesting to me is the company announced that they have a second uh, pilot program and it's in Point Roberts, Washington. And that oh. just kicked off in January. So we'll have a link on our website if you want to read a little bit more about that. Ooh, that's that's really interesting. The European Union is also banning single-use plastic items like cutlery, plates, straws, cups, and food containers starting in 2021. Unfortunately, this is just kind of another thing that's going to get into why next episode is so important. Mm-hmm. The kinds of items covered by this ban only account for about 5% of plastic demand. Oh, really? But you know what they say. Every little bit helps. Yeah. So in addition to their ban on single-use items, they're also going to require that plastic bottles contain at least 25% recycled content by 2025. Mm-hmm. And... Britain is planning to tax manufacturers of plastic packaging with less than 30% recycled material. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting one. And then mm-hmm. Norway recently adopted a system in which the makers of single-use plastic bottles pay an environmental levy, or tax as we would mm-hmm. call it probably, yeah. that declines as the return rate for their product rises. Oh, interesting. Basically incentivizes it a little bit for them to get their products back. Right. They also made it so that the bottles must be designed for easy recycling with no toxic additives and they can only be clear or blue in color and they have to have water soluble labels. So they're getting rid of a lot of the contamination issues, which colored plastics also cause a whole bunch of issues for recycling. So fascinating. Yes. Huh. You may be wondering what else can we do? Government and industry are basically going to say that people need to get better at recycling. But Mm -hmm. the reality is we suck at recycling. We are only recycling 9% of plastics and have been doing so since 2012. So we just we've continued to not be good at doing that. (sighs) Yeah. And there's a limit, like I was saying, to the number of times that plastics can be successfully recycled. So Mm -hmm. educating us on recycling is likely not going to solve this problem. Hmm. That being said, as consumers, obviously we vote for the type of world that we are willing to live in. Each time we make a purchase, as much as possible, we should try not to purchase things that come in plastic. Yeah. I know that's hard. I have plastic all over my house. I'm probably wearing synthetic fabrics right Uh, now. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect, but it's something to strive towards. Right. And we know that almost everything comes wrapped in plastic. Yeah. So if you do have to purchase plastic, try to look for items with recycled content and then recycle it when it's available. But also, as they say, when in doubt throw it out because of this whole contamination issue right which just gets back to the whole root of the whole thing is just really confusing and it's not an easy system yeah exactly i do still think it's worth brushing up on your knowledge of what's recyclable in your area china and southeast asia bans have resulted in local changes to how these programs are being implemented so you can check with your local government or recycling provider and we're going to be sharing a few more ideas in just a minute here Another thing you can do is get excited about waste. There's actually lots of opportunities to be involved in waste management in your community, and we should all be working together to find creative and resourceful solutions that minimize our impacts. And we need cheerleaders. We need cheerleaders that will pressure the governments, the businesses, and the manufacturers to do the right thing and stop passing the buck to the consumer. So... That concludes our discussion of plastics today. Well, no, that doesn't conclude our discussion of plastics today. That concludes the main story. We're going to let Jen talk now. (gasps) Jen gets to talk and we get to talk about GIS. Yay, GIS. Here we Uh, go. I'm passing it off to you. Thanks, Amy. 
for that interesting depressing <laughs> depressing and but interesting uh information about plastic onto one gis tool that can help make recycling pickup more efficient assuming our recycling is actually end up being recycled and not just going to the landfill uh-huh. exactly um so the tool is the routing tool so for curbside pickup a truck comes out and collects the recycling from bins. Using the routing tools in GIS, you could possibly make your collection more efficient and reduce gas consumption and emissions. Hmm. That seems like a good idea. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit more about how that works in a minute. But before you use the routing tool, there are several things that you need to consider and gather. For example, you definitely need to know the location of your bins hmm. and the capacity of the bins, as well as the capacity of the truck. You need to know the location of the recycling center, the transfer station, or wherever the the truck is taking the materials. Is the collection equipment only on one side of the truck, or is it on both sides? Hmm. You need to know elements of the road network, such as where your one-way streets are, where your fueling locations are, and the range of the tank on the truck, etc. I mean, you don't have to factor all these things in, but this just gets you kind of a better route. and Right. Probably the more of those variables that you can identify, the, the better. The more efficient. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing you need is a network data set, and that's a specific type of data set. And right now it has to be created in ArcMap, but it can be used either in ArcMap or ArcGIS Pro to do the route analysis. So a street network data set has information such as which streets connect to each other, where left turns or U-turns are or are not allowed, where your one-way streets are, and any other restrictions on travel. It could also have speed limits, um, historic traffic at different times of day, and a lot more. I'm not going to go into how to create a network data set here, but see the GIS tools blog on our website for more information. Mm. So once you have a network data set, along with your stops or your locations of your bins and your other data sets, you can use the network analyst tools to create an optimized route. And this requires the network analyst extension from Esri. You can use the tools with even a basic license of ArcGIS, but you need a more advanced level to actually create the initial network data set. So in your network analyst extension, the tool you want to use is new route. And this is this is a basic route creating tool, and it only allows you to solve for one factor, such as the shortest time or the shortest distance, but it can take into account other factors. So using the new route tool, you can add in your stops, select the factor you want to solve for, such as shortest distance, and then you can specify impedances, such as the total capacity that the truck can hold for one route so the route doesn't include more stops than the truck has capacity for. Nice. That sounds efficient. Right? Then you can specify other settings such as start time and the day of the week. So if you have that historic traffic information, that can take that into account when calculating the route. It can do so much more than my brain. So much. So once you run the tool, you get a shapefile of your route along with turn-by-turn directions. Awesome. So, I mean, you can even model ideas such as um, having everyone along a road put out their bins just along one side of the road instead of on both sides. Hmm. So you only have to go down one side. Is Does that actually make your route more efficient? Do you have to do fewer routes? I don't know. You know, you can model different scenarios and see what's most efficient. And it, the routing tool 
the results let you know if that actually is going to save you time, gas, distance, whatever. Staff. Exactly. All that stuff. That sounds actually super cool and like a really useful tool that, Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be used for many things besides recycling, but that is a great use for it, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So see the GIS tools blog on our website for links to some tutorials and just more information. Nice. So now I want to talk about a cool app. A cool app? Yeah. So getting into our citizen science topic. Slash stewardship. Slash stewardship. And it's more stewardship in this episode. So even though curbside recycling has been drastically reduced in a lot of jurisdictions, I've been hearing of a lot of companies recycling things in new ways or recycling new items. So the only problem is that you have to know where to take these Mm. items, right? Well, there's an app for that. Nice. The iRecycle app lets you look up a long list of potential recyclables and lets you know if there's anywhere near you that you can take them. And when I looked up items in my area, there are are definitely some that aren't recyclable, but there are quite a few that are. And there's even a location on my way to work where I can drop off things I've been throwing away. And Amy talked about that earlier, which is styrofoam. styrofoam. Exactly. It's very conveniently located to Jen's work. Very conveniently. I drive by it every day. Yes. So there, there are also other items that are only recyclable if I drive like 25 miles or more. So it might not be worth the fuel or the time. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps I could get together with a group of people and we can pool our recyclables and take turns taking them in. I don't know. Maybe not worth it still. Who knows? Yeah. The app isn't 100% inclusive though. So, And sometimes it misses locations that actually do recycle items. So it shows that an item isn't recyclable near you, but it actually is. So you might have to do a little more digging to find a place mm. to take your items. That's good to know that it might be worth a Google still, even if it says no in the app. Exactly. So in my jurisdiction, they quit accepting glass in our curbside recycling as of January 1st of 2020. But there are a few drop-off sites where we can still recycle glass. And some enterprising youngsters are trying to actually start a business where they'll come around and pick up glass on a regular schedule and take it to the drop-off site for you. There are also programs where an organization can host a drop-off for certain materials like wine corks and then send them in bulk through the, the mail, postage paid to be recycled. And some companies even have circular economies where the recycled items are turned into new items such as shoes made from wine corks or from plastic bottles or what have you. And then when the shoes have lived out their lives, you can send them back to the company to be turned into new shoes again. So we'll link to several resources in our show notes. Do I have to point out the part about that still being plastic? Um, (laughs) Some of them are cork and other materials. But we're talking about plastic recycling, aren't we? Yes. Okay. We'll get happier next episode after we get more depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Amy. Yeah, on that note, with more items ending up in the landfill instead of being recycled, it's even more important to take steps to reduce our consumption. And I think Amy may have mentioned this, but Oregon recently implemented a statewide ban on single-use plastic bags, and Washington may soon do the same. 
it's passed the Senate, I believe, but mm-hmm. um, not the House yet. Uh, so I've been bringing my own reusable bags for several years now. And another thing I try to do to reduce waste is to buy in bulk, which reduces packaging waste. And there are just many other ideas out there to reduce your consumption. And I'd love to hear what some of your favorites are. So share them with us on our Facebook page or in the comments on our website. Nice. Mm-hmm. So there you have it, the end of episode 18, where I droned on about (laughs) how we're all doomed because plastic and recycling is broken. But we hope that you laughed more than you cried? Guessing not. (laughs) Learned a thing or two, guessing so, and that we inspired you yet again to make it out alive by consuming less. Today we brought you the joy of Captain Wastenot. We talked about the state of recycling and shared how the routing tool can increase your collection efficiencies. Finally, we wrapped up by talking about the iRecycle app and other ways to recycle or reduce your consumption. Please join us for our next episode, part two of our plastic series, which we haven't named yet. But like I said, it'll be more depressing and then less depressing and hopefully kind of happy at the end, but also depressing when you realize you have to change everything. Um, (laughs) but please listen (laughs) and please don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcast stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and please let us know what you think at outoflifepodcast.com or facebook.com slash will we make it out alive and also if you're more visually inclined we do have a youtube page links in our show notes and now i'm gonna go cry the end (laughs) Until next time, will we make it out alive? This is Amy, the poop detective. And this is Jen, the magical mapper. Until next time, I'll be crying. Both of us crying tears. Plastic tears. (laughs) Mine might be tears of laughter. Oh, that'd be cool. I prefer that. At the poop detective. That's rude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>